Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, nearly 200 people have lost their jobs. The University of Mississippi Medical Center will hear about the financial action plan to address a $32.7 million deficit. And some years are more challenging than others. So we live on a very thin margin. And small things or things that would seemingly be small can really tip us one way or another. Then stakeholders rally the Capitol demanding input on education funding law. We'll hear from lawmakers on both sides. And find out where your property tax dollars go and how you may be able to save dollars. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB. Think Radio. University of Mississippi Medical Center has cut nearly 200 jobs and will not fill 85 vacancies. This is part of its financial action plan to address revenue reductions totaling $32.7 million. Medical Center staff laid out a $24 million savings plan and also included reduced spending, increased fees, and some faculty pay cuts. All of the changes will be initiated by the end of the fiscal year with the job cuts effective immediately. Luann Woodward is the Vice Chancellor for Health Affairs at UMMC. She says the decisions had to be made this fiscal year. The combination of the um, state cuts, which equaled $8.2 million, and then the current standing of the dish cuts, which equals $24.5 million, puts us north of a $32 million revenue cut to absorb in this fiscal year. So between March 1st and the end of the year, our target is to find $24 million in savings to offset these cuts that we have sustained. Woodward also described how the decisions were determined on whose job would be cut. The two most important things were for this not to have a negative impact on the patient experience. And number two, that we had to maintain the integrity of our academic programs. And what we did was take that $24 million, which between now, March 1, and the end of the year, was roughly a 5% cut for each budget owner. The budget owner was given the responsibility and the task to, to find the right way to do that because we know that really nobody knows a department like the person who's in charge of that department and knows where the savings might be found. When asked if this is an issue that is exclusive to UMMC, Woodward says it is a reality that many academic medical centers are facing. 
When you look at academic medical centers across the country, this is the reality in many academic medical centers where revenue is being challenged at every front, whether it's state funding, federal funding, grant funding, whatever it might be. So it is quite a challenge. This has been a very difficult series of decisions for us, required what we consider to be some very unfortunate and drastic action, but again, felt a great responsibility to be sure that the bottom line of the medical center stays as healthy as it can. With the large number of positions being cut, Woodward says the cuts came from across the board and she shares her concerns about the move to cut so many positions. So it was across all areas of the organization. That includes the Grenada Hospital, that includes our adult hospitals, children's hospitals, the academic departments, research, administration, and again, the decisions were made at the budget owner level. In fact, for us, it was very important that this not be focused in any one single area because because it is very broad. I'm worried about, first of all, the employees who lost their positions. I'm worried about the extra stress that this puts on the employees who are still here. I'm worried about still providing the services that are important for us to provide. And I'm worried about the message that this sends publicly because we have some very important key strategic priorities that are still in play. The proposed changes to the Affordable Health Care Act are not the cause for these changes. Woodward says it is a a result of changes made at the state level. So while the Affordable Care Act has impacted the number of patients that are covered by insurance or not or what kind of insurance they have, we've seen some adjustments there, but that's not directly related to what's happening today. For us, the bottom line is the more people that have coverage of some type and the more people that have access to health care, we think the better off not only will be as an organization, but the state will be from the standpoint of health. The shortfall of the state is what is behind the cuts that we've received in our state appropriations. And this was not just a one-year phenomenon. It actually started, you know, a couple of years ago. We started this year, July 1 of 2016, we started with a cut from our baseline from the prior year. And during this year have sustained several cuts to our budget, which is directly related to the governor's responsibility when the state revenues are not uh, are not what they were anticipated. You know, he has that responsibility to be sure that um, that the budget is is stable, which then means that there's his hands are really tied. There's no there's no other choice other than to um, make adjustments to the different agencies' budgets. So it is. it has been a part of what's going on with us. I don't think it's a matter of if they would like to fund us more. It's just a matter of the reality of the dollars. UMMC Vice Chancellor for Health Affairs, Dr. Luann Woodward. She says duties from some eliminated positions will be reassigned to maintain efficiency. The next question will be how the remainder of the nearly $33 million deficit will be handled at state's only academic medical center. Coming up, a rally to support fully funding public education draws hundreds to the state capitol. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Press conferences, executive orders, meetings with foreign leaders. There's plenty to follow in the first 100 days of the new administration, and NPR News will be there, digging deep into the facts and bringing you multiple points of view. Listen every day. 
there's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Hundreds of Mississippians are demanding lawmakers fully fund public education. Educators, parents, students, clergy, and legislators showed up at the Capitol Thursday hoping to have their voices heard. They rallied saying they want a seat at the table as these decisions are being made. Representative Jay Hughes tells our Desiree Frazier he can understand the public's concern about the process. Right now, uh, decisions are being made about the future funding of 500,000 children in Mississippi. No teachers or educators are involved in it. It's a few men behind a closed door that nobody knows about. Single biggest budget item in our state is being handled secretly, and I disagree with that. What can you do as a legislator to make this whole process more transparent? Do you have any authority in that area? Nobody has authority except the speaker, the leaders, your leadership. Uh, And that's from rank-and-file Republicans or Democrats. This isn't a party issue. Public education should not be partisanship. They said, well, the Senate passed a bill earlier this week, I believe, where they're going to give $2.2 billion to education, $20 million for an incentive program. How do you feel about that? It was a House bill. I think it sounds great when you hear it, but the real thing should say that we have defined by law what is adequate, the, the lowest possible amount, and we just underfunded it 200 million less than adequate. That's the real story, and that's disappointing. We won't change in Mississippi in any category until we put public education of every child as the number one priority in this state. Do you think that we're going to see more responses like this from folks across the state? I hope so. I think the public needs to get outraged about the secret dealings going on down here about their children and grandchildren. But are the legislators hearing it? Because they adjourned, I believe we heard at 9? They, they, they may not have heard it because the ones that didn't want to hear about public education all got out of this building quickly. The reality is they will hear about it, and they'll hear about it back home from the parents that care. You know... Uh, I wish I had a crystal ball, and I certainly can't predict what Governor Bryant's going to do, but I think he's made clear that he's not going to call one unless there is a consensus, a legitimate reason to spend taxpayer dollars getting 174 of us down here. And as we approach two weeks from the end of the session, I've not heard anything from either side of the aisle that there's a consensus on anything about education. The formula is the formula. It merely defines what education, the minimal amount that it takes to educate a child in Mississippi. So our job as a legislature is to see that that's funded every year. And every year we break our promise to three million Mississippians. I would like to see some changes to MAEP, certainly as it deals with special needs children and uh, English language learners, ELL. But but no, I want to see it tweaked and then fully funded. Public education is not a priority when most of the decision makers' children are in private schools or academies. 
Representative Jay Hughes, a Democrat from Oxford, with our Desiree Frazier. He also caught up, she also caught up with Senator Chad McMahon. He says funding education is a key investment that should exceed funding prisoners. I know people may not feel we're not spending enough money on education. And some people think we're spending too much money on education. But when I consider the price of education versus the price of a lifetime of ignorance, I think that education is a bargain. And I don't know exactly what the right amount is, but we should spend every penny we can investing in our young peoples. You know, I'm troubled because we have roughly 350,000 students in the state, and we spend an average of about $7,000 a student. But we, I'm troubled because we have about the same number of prisoners in the state, and we're spending $26,000 a year per prisoner. And, you know, I'd like to turn those numbers around because at least we would have an opportunity to get an investment in our young people. And that's what I'm about, helping invest in our young people for a brighter, better tomorrow. And let me encourage you, don't believe all the negativity. Our best days are still ahead of us. What do you say to people who say your their, uh, Republican-led leadership is looking at Ed Bill recommendations and people feel like they don't know what's going on and they want to know, are we going to have Ed Bill recommendations or are we going to have MAEP? What is happening? You know, I don't know what a new MAPE formula is going to look like. I haven't seen any legislation on that. I do know that the current MAPE formula was written 25 years ago, before we even had cell phones. Now think how much our world has changed in 25 years. I think there's an opportunity to review and uh, recalibrate the formula, but I don't know that I'll vote for it or against it until I see what that legislation looks like. But there are many Republicans across the state that are committed to public education. I'm one of those Republicans. What do you say to people who say it's being rushed, that take your time, have some open discussions about any changes to the funding formula? Why does it have to happen this session? And we're not sure it's going to happen because we have two weeks left. As legislators, we're taking a very close look at the formula. And we're taking our time reviewing the formula, and we're holding town hall meetings across Mississippi, getting people's inputs before we decide to vote on this bill. But uh, even the Democrats, they had a meeting earlier this week, the Legislative Caucus, and said, we don't know what's going on with education. We're being left out of the discussion. Education is not a Democrat or Republican issue. It's a Mississippi value, an American value. And I'm looking for legislators who will stand with me and help promote education, public education, here in the state of Mississippi. Do you think the party can be more transparent about what they're doing? I think this is the people's house, and there's a lot of transparency here. Every meeting we have in this building is an open forum because this house belongs to the people. Senator Chad McMahon, a Republican from Guntown, with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Critics of the current funding formula, Mississippi Adequate Education Program, say it's 20 years old and needs updating. Coming up, if you're a homeowner not taking advantage of the homestead exemption, you're missing out on hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars off your property taxes. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Many of today's most famous actors call Mississippi home. In fact, you may see a few of them at the Academy Awards. One of America's finest and most beloved actors, Morgan Freeman, lives in Charleston. Emmy, Golden Globe, and Tony winner James Earl Jones comes from Arkabutla. 
Then there's Celia Ward and Diane Ladd, both from Meridian. Channing Tatum from Pascagoula, Tignataro from Pas Christiane, Tania Stewart from Greenwood, Parker Posey from Laurel, and Tate Ellington from Madison. Anjanu Ellis and Brandy Norwood both grew up in Macomb. And Gerald McCraney is Collins's favorite son. And of course, there's Kosciuszko's own Oprah Winfrey. Like our literature and music, acting is yet another creative way that our small state makes a big impression. This has been Mississippi, a thread through time. MPB Think Radio goes off the beaten path with diverse perspectives and award-winning content, attracting an audience who appreciate honesty and value. Sound familiar? Reach your target audience with an MPB underwriting credit. For more information, go to mpbonline.org. Mississippi edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Qualified homeowners could see lower tax bills by applying for a homestead exemption at their primary residence. Property taxes play a vital role in Mississippi communities by funding education, fire protection, law enforcement, recreation, and infrastructure. Jason Camp is an instructor with the Mississippi State University Extension Service Center for Government and Community Development. He says ownership benefits both the community and the homeowner when it comes to taxes. The Mississippi legislature in 1938 enacted a homestead exemption law, and this allows property owners um, tax relief on their primary residence. This exemption today still provides a substantial tax exemption to property owners, and there's three different types of homestead exemptions that are available, um, and you must apply this year by March 31st. Those three types of uh, homestead exemptions that are available are regular homestead exemption, uh, which is for homeowners who are younger than 65. The other two um, exemptions that are available are special homestead exemption. This is for people um, who are 65 or older or that are completely disabled. And then the third exemption that's available was recently passed in 2015, and it's a special exemption for service-connected totally disabled American veterans and their unmarried um, surviving spouses. You only apply once unless you have one of the following cases. So um, if you purchase a new home, if you change the use of the property, um, if your spouse dies or turns 65 or becomes disabled, if there's a change in marital status or a change of where you actually live, then you would need to go back and apply, uh, reapply for homestead exemption. Tell us how you apply. You would uh, visit your county tax assessor's office, um, you would go in. Typically, you're asked to provide some documentation saying that you, you know, you own the home, um, that it's your your residence, that your car tag is there in the county, and proof of address. Is there a way to find out online if you already have it or whether you qualify for it? The only thing that you could do online would be able to just look at the uh, qualifications, um, and those qualifications are that you must be considered the head of the household. Um, that you must own and reside on the property on January 1 of the year that you're applying. The property must be your primary residence and that you're a Mississippi resident. You must be in compliance with all Mississippi income tax laws and that all of your vehicles uh, must have a Mississippi license plate in the county which you're applying. If you meet those requirements, then you're eligible. 
Jason, are there any other ways that homeowners can lower their tax bills? That's something that everybody's always interested in. Uh, and, and one suggestion I have for homeowners is to review their ad valorem tax appraisals um, for their property annually. Um, this can be done by going and visiting uh, the tax assessor's office. Um, I would suggest around June and looking over to make sure all of the information on your um, property tax is current with the office um, and making sure that's correct before it's filed with the Board of Supervisors. Which brings up a whole other topic. How are ad valorem taxes or the assessment done and uh, what criteria is included? Yeah, and most people are puzzled by how their property tax bill is, is calculated. Your county tax assessor develops what's called the true value of your property. Um, this value is it's different from what most people think of when they, and they think of market value. But the true value is used strictly for ad valorem tax purposes. Um, your tax assessor has a set of uh, rules developed by the Department of Revenue and that's used um, across the state to come up with the value of your property. Uh, once they have that value, um, then uh, homeowners should take a really close look at their property bill because the, on that property bill, it will show the breakdown of the millage rate um, that's a ca- allocated to each local taxing entity. Um, that millage rate allows you to see the amount of tax that you're paying um, and where those taxes are going. Um, so a homeowner would be taxed by typically by a local school district the county, and if you live within a city, um, you would have a city tax. Um, So, for example, my most recent tax bill, I was taxed around 53 mils by the county, um, 25 mils by the city, and 66 mils by the school district. And so by looking at that, you can see the largest portion of my property tax is going um, to my local school district, um, then the county, with the smallest portion going to the city. Now, that'll vary from county to county and city to city, Um, but millage rates are changed annually by the local school board, the city council, and the county board of supervisors, Um, but these uh, taxing authorities use the millage and the taxes to support operations of the government that we depend on every day. The Mississippi State Extension Service also has several resources online um, that we offer to taxpayers and the public that help them understand uh, Mississippi property tax. Um, you can find those on our website at gcd.msstate.edu. Uh, one is called um, A Guide to Understanding Mississippi Property Tax. And the other resource that I would point people to is um, an in-depth guide that we have about county government. And again, the deadline to apply for homestead exemption is March 31st, the end of this month. Jason Kemp is an instructor with the Mississippi State University Extension Service Center for Government and Community Development. Jason, thanks so much for some good information. Thank you. The tax assessor of the county in which the property is located determines the property's assessed value. Homeowners, again, have until March 31st to file for a homestead exemption. To learn more about homestead exemption or apply for a homestead exemption, call or visit your county tax assessor's office. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's the Gestalt Gardener. Then at 10, next stop, Mississippi. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women. If you missed part of the show today, you can find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Have a great 
great weekend and join us again Monday morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition. It's only on MPB Think Radio.